0: You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust. Connected to the land, committed to conservation.
1: Welcome back to Campfire Conversations, everybody. We're live here in the podcast studio of Backcountry and Beyond in downtown Salisbury. We have a new guest today, a new employee. Um, So we're going to kind of run through an intro, let you guys meet Kiki. Welcome. Thank you. Um, So... To start, this is always such an awkward question. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You have the floor.
2: Yeah, so, um, yeah, I just started here uh, last Monday. I'm not sure when this podcast is going to go up, but late April started with Three Rivers Land Trust. I've been working in conservation for a while now, and uh, really, I'm just a science communicator big in uh, social media marketing about conservation topics, teaching people about wildlife and wild spaces is what I always say. My key line is uh, connecting people back to their inner child's wonder for wildlife. That's what I love. And I just love talking about wildlife and uh, happy to be here. Yeah. We've,
1: um, Addie and I touched on that in a, a previous podcast. We talked about like, the importance of hobbies and some adult onset hobbies versus the hobbies you have when you're a kid. And I something for me, like I studied recreation in college mm-hmm. um, and something I think is very important. And like one of the reasons I still like to get out and go fishing because it's something I did as a child. And I think yep. it's important as an adult to be able to kind of gift yourself because it is a gift unstructured time when you can yep. do something you've been doing since you were little and for just however brief a period, you can kind of disconnect and get in that state of flow. You are eight Mm -hmm. years old again.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, very refreshing. As soon as you, I feel like people are kind of rediscovering it. I'll see on TikTok sometimes people will be like, man, I went outside and I like took off my shoes and walked through a Creek and I was surprised. Like I felt had so much of a better day the rest of the day, but Uh that's what I did as a six-year-old and always made me happy. (laughs) Like I'm like finally remembering what made me happy. Like sometimes it's crazy. Even just like you're laying on a blanket in the grass and you start looking at the grass for a while and you start to see all the little ants and everything. And it's shocking. You look at the same patch, like one foot by one foot space, and there's so much wildlife just moving through it. And you're like, how did I not notice this? And you're like, oh, I used to do this as a kid. And it made me really happy then. Like, yeah, just connecting back to that, like, wonder that we all had for wildlife and for being outside because it's all there. Because you don't lose that you just kind of forget about it as an adult but yeah yeah it's still all there so
1: i'll never forget when um one of the first times i was i'm trying to remember how old i would have been i want to say i was about five or six probably four or five actually i would have been younger so this would put us in like 1991. Mm-hmm. i would have been living in moore county in southern pines and we were near a golf course and in you know the summertime you got light at night my dad would come home for work and he would always want to go, like, hit some golf balls, work on a short game, whatever, and yeah. we'd be out there. And I remember starting to ask about the ponds because I would go fishing. We're at the farm with my grandparents and different things. He's like, well, yeah, there's fish in there. Let's Next time we come back, we'll bring a rod with us. Yep. And watching the bobber slip under and feeling the tug and just, like, realizing that there was a way to experience that right in my backyard, right around the corner from mm-hmm. my house. That was kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know, one of those catalyst moments for me. So to kick it to you, what was that? When what was the light bulb moment when you're like I love this? Yeah. I'm going in on this.
2: <laughs> and you know, um, I don't know if it's just like like, maybe I have an addictive personality and didn't realize it, and this is just, like, yeah. the first sign of it as a kid. But um, when I was little, I was, like, four years old, and my parents, uh, one of my parents' friends gave them a bunch of old VHS tapes of Jack Hanna's show, Zoo Life, yep. uh, which he, like, traveled all around. He would talked to different zookeepers at different zoos, and he'd feature a different group of animals. Like He did talking animals in one episode and, like, animals under the surface. And they got all this, these VHS tapes and started putting them on for me. And I was just like, I had no idea there were this many animals. And naturally, I have to learn about all of them. Yeah. Because the, there's so many. Like that, It never stops. There's just constantly more and more and more and more animals. We haven't even discovered all of them. And so I just kept watching. I b- about wore out the tapes just watching them over and over because I just thought it was so fascinating. And I was like, this is my personality now. I will... Th- this this is all that I want to do. I want to grow up. I want to be a zookeeper, which growing up, like people would always be, I'd be like, oh, I want to work with animals. And they'd be like, oh, you want to be a vet? And I'd be like, no, there's other options. Yeah, I want to be a zookeeper. It's not the only thing. I wound up not being a zookeeper. I tried being a zookeeper, wound up not being a zookeeper. But um, yeah, just continued following that and like just absolutely in awe of animals and finding that I loved talking about that to other people and then getting them excited too. So
1: nice. Yeah. Kiki and I were chatting. We worked uh been at New Serum Brewing uh this past weekend and talking about like things you've done at work and weird things you know because of places you worked. And I'm gonna just go ahead and put it out there for everybody. Yours is the density of rhino poo. Yeah. And that you can't fill the trash can yeah. throw <laughs> the way high. Dude. <laughs> like Bad rhino poo. <laughs>
2: so we had these uh well, one time I specifically remember I was scooping out the rhino poo. We had this um, this is a zoo. I the first zookeeping experience that I did. Um, I did a zookeeper internship for six months at a zoo out in Wichita, Kansas. So I moved to the middle of nowhere, away from any family and friends, and just scooped animal crap exactly. for six months. Um, but we had this gigantic uh, Indian rhino and uh fun fun thing about male rhinos is they like to show off to the other females how tall they are and the way they do that is they back up against a wall and then just poop crap all over the wall (laughs) as tall as they are so they're like 10 12 feet tall so you're like scraping rhino poo off the wall plus they it's a ton of it at once and they poop in the same area so like you go to clean up and there's a pile. I have a selfie, like I have multiple selfies with just like a pile of rhino poo. That's like bigger than I am. Like great. So I'm like shoveling the poo out one time. The zookeeper was like, Hey, clean up after him. Like get that all up. So I'm shoveling it into this giant, big, like garbage can And she walks over and I've like about filled the can with rhino poo. And she was like, (laughs) we literally can't move. Like we cannot pick that up. You have to shovel that all back out. No, I I did. I had to literally shovel it into multiple different garbage cans Found out that rhino poo is so freaking heavy that you have to put only like, you can fill it up a third of the way and then you need help lifting it into the back of the pickup truck to take it to the dump site. Dang. But I had biceps then. Yeah, that was good.
1: You'll get built. I actually spent some time shoveling animal feces. It was not because I was mm-hmm. trying to enter a career in conservation work. It was because I was a student at Clemson, and it turns out a couple missteps I owed yeah. the good people of Anderson County some community service hours. Ah. I completed those at the T Ed Garrison Rodeo Arena right outside oh, of town. Yeah, and you can guess what that job was. It was like yeah. grab that shovel, head over there, yep. and don't look up until you're done.
2: I tell you that like. Poo, poo is poo, right? Yeah. Like you know, nobody wants it. But um, definitely, the worst is like big cat poop. Yeah, because like we had, oh, <laughs> we had a gutter outside. We had a, a two Bengal tigers at this one zoo that I worked at, and we had like a gutter thing, like a drain pipe that came. Through. So when we'd move them in the outside of their enclosure, we'd hose down the inside of the enclosure and okay. hose it in the gutter. And every now and then, gutters stop draining. We'd be like, oh, somebody's got to clean that out. <laughs> I was the intern. Yeah. So they're like, no, Kiki's got to clean that out. And I mean, they're, first of all, they're eating meat. So the poop already smells right. so much worse. Instead of like you know zebras whatever it's like condensed hay at the end of the day so it doesn't smell yeah. like horrible pretty neutral yeah They're yeah shoveled
1: out a horse stall it's yeah. fine
2: like it's not great but it's fine but um you've got like just you've got the leftover meat that they didn't eat in the drain so lots of times that's the guts of what other animal whatever animal you fed them uh, it's just been sitting there. Ugh and then you've also got their poop mixed in there so it's just like a whole mess of like everything that you do not want to encounter that almost made me quit. I I specifically remember, and I still reference. I don't that. think I would
1: have gotten through the first round of unclogging that. That was not good. Thankfully, it only happened once. We had yeah. to do
2: it pretty infrequently, but um, I literally remember like pausing, and I was like, "This is my low. Like this <laughs> is like this is the moment that if I think I'm having a terrible moment, like you can at least I one. can reference this. Uh, like yeah. that's how I mentally got through it. Is I was like, "This will be what I reference through to get through anything terrible." Because I was like, it's your new floor, yeah, gagging. Like, Like dry heaving the whole time. Like, I'm not exaggerating. I was dry heaving the entire time. It was horrible. And literally multiple times since then, I've been in an uncomfortable situation. And I've been like, at least I'm not cleaning out guts and poo from a freaking gutter because
1: life's gone upward a little bit. (laughs) Well, that and if anybody ever questions your commitment to conservation work, you have a pretty good story. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so that's a great segue now that we've covered excrement. Um, <laughs> if you guys hadn't already figured it out, Kiki comes to us from, and you're going to have to tell me exactly what zoo you were at before you.
2: Yeah. So, well, I so I was at Tankanika Wildlife Park in Wichita, and okay. then I was at Zoo Atlanta in Atlanta, Stana, Georgia. Yeah. Um, and then I've worked with multiple different, like I worked with Sunny Mountain Nature Preserve. I've like done some contract type stuff with UGA4H. Okay. Um like Piedmont Park Conservancy. Like, I've done a lot of different, like, yeah. pop up things with smaller groups. And then, um, where else have I, been? I worked at a little farm for a little while? That was pretty tame. Yeah. Again, all the animals, like, ate hay. So uh, poop was not terrible. Not there. terrible. Um, I give it a solid, like, four out of 10 of awful. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I've kind of bounced around really, like, the. Before working at the zoo out in Wichita, I had worked at a dog boarding center because I knew I wanted to work with wildlife. I lived in Dahlonega, Georgia, like small town. Really, if you wanted to work with animals, pretty much the only option was to be a vet um, or to work like on a horse farm. So um, I knew I really wanted to do zookeeping. I was like, how the heck do I get my foot in the door here? And so I actually got a job at this dog boarding Place that was an hour away from me in Delauniga, Georgia. And at the time I was driving my parents' car and they were not a fan. Like this was like a 97 minivan. It was yeah. like, it was on its way out the door already. And I was like, hey, can I drive it an hour in the morning? Like, hour, like two hours every single day to go to this place. And they were not a fan of it. But I was like, I got to get an animal job. Like I need to get experience working with animals, even if it's just dogs and cats. Yeah. And it actually really worked out because... I was able to take that and when I advertised, or when I um, applied for the internship and they were like, you don't have any exotics experience. So I was like, every single thing that you're going to ask me to do, giving medications, monitoring behavior, seeing if an animal's adjusting well, seeing how they're interacting with other animals, like cleaning up after them. I've done it all. I just have only done it for dogs and cats and like yeah. chinchillas so far, but it I know how to transfer it. I just need to transfer it to bigger and more exotic animals. So they were like, hey, fair enough. Like, you've done everything. You just haven't done it with exotics. So basically, the skill set was, like, you needed to be more cautious. Yeah. You know? Obviously, there's some dogs and cats you have to be cautious of, but every wild animal, you need to be cautious and respected. It's a wild animal. also, don't you
1: love that response when you're in a job hunt? Like, well, you don't have any experience. like, yes, exactly. That's why I'm here. Yeah.
2: And it's an internship. Like, what do you want from me? (laughs) I'm like, what, I was, like, 19 years old? I'm like, what am I supposed to have? Yeah. But, um. Yeah, so uh, really from there, like when I did zookeeping, I I wound up like a couple of the little, um, now this was a ZAA zoo, so there's like different types of accreditations. There's AZA zoos which are like uh, Zoo Atlanta's and AZA Zoo. So it's like the highest accreditation you can get in the United States as a zoo of like getting evaluated. A ZAA Zoo is like the next tier, but they allow more animal encounters. So that can kind of be controversial. Like they okay. had a camel ride at this one Zoo that I worked at. Some places oh. are like super against camel rides. Right. Personally, like... Sometimes I take the stance like uh, dromedary camels are the camels that they used. And um, dromedary camels aren't a wild animal anymore. Like, there's no wild populations of dromedary camels. They're all domestic animals. And because we've domesticated them, they like live for work. It's like you, it's not the same, but it's similar to getting a working dog and then just like laying it on your couch. Like, it has a desire to work. And so we had two camels that we worked with. And whatever camel wasn't doing camel rides was standing at the edge of its enclosure. like Ready to go. Just walking back and forth, watching everybody like, hey, tag me in. Like, they wanted to work. Um, obviously, you have to be, like, ethical in how often you work an animal. But anyway, there were different encounters like that. Like, we had a kangaroo walkabout. We had a camel ride. We had a lemur encounter and i found out through working the six months there i would call my parents on the days that i worked these encounters and i'd be like man i talked to this family today and the dad was just like dragging it out like i'm here for my kids and i was like but have you ever touched a kangaroo like do you know how soft they are and he'd be like <laughs> i've never touched a kangaroo and i'm like you can't come to the zoo and not touch it just be nice and like go up behind it and if it's fine he'll let you touch him like you just gotta touch it and then like I get them to touch it and they'd be like, oh, like, it's actually like so soft. It, it feels like a stuffed animal. And I'd be like, yeah, I know. And then I'd get like them all excited about it. And then I'd start telling them about like the different adaptations that kangaroos have. And like, they're crazy. Like they can have a baby in their pouch, a baby on the ground and a baby in their um, in their womb, like waiting to implant all at the same time, depending on how much food is in the area. They can have like three babies that they're essentially taking care of at the same time. And then if there's not as much food, they'll only have one. So, I've got two young kids.
1: That sounds like a nightmare. Right? That'd be right? stressful. Yeah. You can
2: imagine you're like, as soon as I stop nursing this baby, another one's going to pop in. Yeah. Terrifying. Glad we didn't get that adaptation. Yeah. That would have sucked. Well, they really um, right
1: act about that after you, you know, especially for the dads when you're a new father. Right. They're like eight weeks. Right. I mean, they'll pull yeah. you aside and be like, eight yeah. weeks, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Don't no. play with that.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, they... Um, they just, like, would get excited about what I was talking to them about, um, about, like, the animals when they were bored and they weren't excited to be there before. And I, so I talked to my parents, and I'd be like, man, these people were like, so bored, but I got them excited about it. And then they were like, excited to be there, and they were yeah. asking me questions. And then I um, got home from the internship because it was a six-month one, and I saw Zoo Atlanta had a conservation educator position posted. And I was like, boom. Oh, that's a job! Like
1: that's what I've been doing. I can literally yeah.
2: just talk about animals and no crap involved. <laughs> like <laughs> this is amazing. So I applied for it and I was like, "This is perfect." Because my whole life I looked up to Jack Hanna and I looked up to Steve Irwin. Yeah, and I thought that they were zookeepers, but then right. I grow up and I realized like they they were science communicators. They mm-hmm. were educating people about that. Now obviously they were also doing animal care because both of them also worked with zoos, but When they were on camera they were just ambassadors for animals and i was like oh so that's what i was aiming for this whole time without even realizing
0: the team at montgomery community college in troy invite you to get to know their forestry management technology program for decades mcc has been helping forestry students explore this exciting high demand career option mcc is located on the edge of the uwari national forest in the uwari mountains The campus is situated on approximately 150 acres of timberland that is managed by the college's forestry program. Forestry is considered one of MCC's specialty programs with other options including gunsmithing, hunting and shooting sports management, taxidermy, and pottery. Visit montgomery.edu to see course descriptions and explore the exciting world of forestry for yourself. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break from the show to talk about one of our podcast sponsors, Backcountry and Beyond. You can visit Backcountry and Beyond at 322 South Main Street in Salisbury, North Carolina. It's just a walk down from the office from us, so it makes it quite dangerous to my credit card statement every month. Um, For example, I guess two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, I bought one of the Groove Life belts. I'm absolutely obsessed. I have considered throwing away every single belt that I've got because it's... It's a game changer.
1: She's about sure. got me talked into one. She's yeah. not kidding.
0: I'm not messing around. I wear it every single day. It's the handiest, easiest belt, and I wouldn't have believed that a belt would change my life. Well, there you go. It's right. It's right on the cusp of changing my life. Come I'd on say.
1: down to Backcountry on. Get a life changing mm-hmm. belt.
0: For sure. And they've also got a ton of women's apparel that they've brought in from brands like Prana, Cool, Helly Hansen, and Marshwear is actually coming out with a women's line here in April. So. Hop on that train first. Be a train Exciting setter. stuff. I'm excited for that. But they've got all kinds of great stuff. They
1: do. They've also got some great new products from Traeger, um, one of which we're going to be having as a prize in our conservation raffle. Traeger has put out an awesome new flat-top griddle this year that's brand new for this spring and summer season. So if you are not someone who typically is, you know, you don't consider yourself to be a lucky person, just come on down here and see Jeff at Backcountry and Beyond and pick one up.
0: I mean it's not even just the Traeger that they've got here that's awesome for cookware either. I know at the front they had that awesome looking
1: Yeah, salon. the Smithy. Yeah, the the Smithy, Smithy awesome. Ironware out of Charleston. Um you guys may or may not know this about me. I have kind of a culinary background, used to own a food truck, was hoping to take it into a restaurant but the pandemic happened. Uh but that Smithy Ironware, that is really nice stuff that's top notch. You should definitely come check it out.
0: Yeah, so stop on by at Backcountry and Beyond and back to the show.
1: Nice. There we go. So so something I've heard you talk about before, um, conservation for everyone, mm-hmm. like yeah. share that with the listeners, kind of what you mean by that, what that means to you. Cause something yeah. we ask about, like anytime somebody sits for an interview with three rivers land Trust, you're going to get asked probably more than once in that process. What's your conservation story. Right. So she's tired of telling this, but we're going <laughs> to ask her to do it one more time.
2: No, no, it's, it's great. I mean, so for me, like with that journey of going to take an internship, so I had been in college by then. So um, I grew up in Dahlonega and I started going to college there. And uh, like I said, I was a pre-vet major because there yeah. was no other, there was nothing else to study really for working with wildlife. Right. And so I'm going to my hometown college and I'm doing like a major that I, I'm not really sure even like directly applies to what I want to do. And I was like, I if I want to work with animals, I need to like I need to push myself out of the nest. Essentially, my parents, my parents were like, "You can live with us as long. Well, you can build your house behind our house. That'll be great." Like they're very <laughs> supportive of me being around. Right. It's so like I I was like, okay, I need to push myself out of the nest uh-huh. here. And so I took a semester off from the college I was going to. Because I was paying for college myself and just like worked at this dog boarding center to save up for college, right? Mm-hmm. Or ch- save up for transferring schools, moving out, and everything. So yeah. I work and I I save for a semester, take the semester off, and then I transfer schools. And literally two weeks into being in this new school, I find out that I got the internship in Wichita. Oh, so nice. I had one semester yeah, to make. Yeah, yeah, I had one semester at Kennesaw State University. I like accepted the internship on like like mid-january like january 20th or something like that accepted in the internship which started in may so literally classes ended and i think it was one maybe two weeks after classes ended packed up my stuff and i'm like talking to my parents and they're like sir are you gonna come home like move home for the summer and i was like i'm actually moving to wichita for the summer um about <laughs> that <laughs> <they were> like, <laughs> little update for you here so um going to kansas yeah, so move out there, and then I come back from my internship, and I think it was like late November um, is when I got back, or mid-November, um, and then I went back to college for spring semester, and that's when I started working at the zoo in Atlanta, and uh, and I just kind of, I was encountering more and more people who were either in the zoo industry, and their parents had paid for their degree, or thought that they couldn't get in the zoo zoo industry because they couldn't afford a degree right. and i was working and i was commuting this is crazy like i had an hour and 45 minute commute to work at this zoo for five hour shifts you couldn't work more than five hours at a time and i was part-time
1: holy crap. so i was
2: driving like four hours a day to put in five hours of work at because i just wanted to be there like i right. just wanted to be working with the animals but then balancing classes with that was nuts and i think i If I remember correctly, I was in the honors program there and I was getting flack for not doing volunteer hours. And I was like, listen, guys, I'm either driving or working or in your class. Like, I do not have time for this. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this without my degree. And if I go back and get my degree later, then that's great. But if I have to choose between taking classes and being there for classes and clubs – or actually working at a zoo and doing what I know I want to do and what I love and getting experience that will help me filter what I want to do five years from now, 10 years from now, I'm going to keep working. So I dropped out of college and I just kept working at the zoo and Loved it, and it you know, it did cost me some opportunities along the way. There's some places you apply to, and they're like, Sorry, like you need a four year degree, yeah. But the benefit of that in the conservation field is when you're younger and you're starting out, they all pay horribly anyway, so <laughs> you're not missing out. Like, I remember one place I interviewed with, it was like for a seasonal position, it was $12 an hour, Ooh, and ouch, the girl was like, I would hire you right now, but. You need to have a four-year degree. So when you finish your degree, come back and I will hire you. Like I promise you, because I I would love to work with you. And I and I'm just sitting there. So I'm like, go
1: take out some student loans If you see so my face again, right? yeah. <laughs> if you
2: see my face, and I have a four-year degree for a twelve dollars an hour seasonal position, <laughs> please no. Like that's please. Insane. Yeah, it's a problem. That's a big problem. Any kind you think of that's like just
1: because competition's so high. Like there's a lot of people trying to get into no, it. Um, no, no.
2: There's a really big problem in. The conservation field of, well, if you're here for the money, then maybe you're not passionate enough for it. And I I literally had somebody say that to me. They were like, well, if you care about how much money you make, then maybe this isn't the right field for you. And I was like, I, so I don't get basic needs? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't get to have those? Like, But, um, yeah, it, you get a lot of people burnt out of um, zookeeping is actually worse for that than uh sci like i'm kind of lucky that i'm on a pivoting a little bit because right. there's better payments working in media like y- you make a better salary um and you can find more like consistent salary jobs a lot of zookeeper jobs you're working maybe 30 hours in the um 20 to 30 hours in the winter and then you're working 60 hours in the summer so you literally yeah. have and you're not salary you're hourly right. so you have to save your money over the summertime and a lot over the wintertime, even if you've been in the field for like 10 years. So there's a big problem yeah. in the field, and a lot of people in my generation of working in are like, we're not going to take a job, where you're not paying us adequately. And it's not because we're not passionate enough. It's because I'm so passionate. I don't want to burn out on this when I'm 30. Right. Like I, I don't want to be like 35 and be like, I absolutely hate this industry. They've not taken care of me this entire time. Uh-huh. I never get to visit my family because I can't afford plane tickets. I have no like work-life balance. like. So there's a big wave pushing for people to pay better, but it's just, there's a whole narrative that like, if you work in the in an industry where most people are passionate about what they do, you don't have to be compensated for it because you get fulfillment from it. Like this pays in memories. Like yeah. memories don't pay my bills. Like no, I, they don't. Yeah. So
1: they don't, I, you know, it's funny. I, um, there is, I don't know. I, I have a very opposite story. Like I got here, Mm -hmm. Um, after years of being places like I have a, everybody always told me, go get a sales job. You got a great personality. Just, it doesn't matter what, just sell something. You'll be fine. You'll make money. Yeah. And what I found was that regardless of whether or not that went well, spoiler alert from an income standpoint, it usually didn't. Yeah. Uh, but that lack of fulfillment, I don't know, man, I've been not getting a paycheck. Like it's kind of, you know, right. what a, it's funny, like sitting here listening to you talk. What I take away from it is like, wow, what a gift to know exactly what you wanted to do. Yeah. From early on, because I knew what I loved, but I guess you know that's kind of the whole thing is like you, the light bulb you said went on for you that man, right. I could do this for a job. Like, right?
2: I right. didn't know
1: this was a job that people had. Yep. And I always like, I'd from a you know probably I'd say twenty two or so. I just kind of was resigned to the fact for a while that I was just going to be unhappy at work because yep. was unhappy at work, and that's how it works.
2: Yeah, and that's like I feel like it's either. You're in like a passion field and everybody like doesn't care at all how much money you like, like there's no emphasis on quality of life as right. long as your passion. it's like you either get to be passionate about your work and have like no quality of life or you get to have quality of life and hate your nine to five. Like I like Can't hate the it job Can just be that you somewhere do. in the
1: middle, you know? Yeah.
2: And it can be like, it's, it's frustrating and obviously like there's a hard piece to it where... Um, I mean, when you're fresh out of college, you don't want to negotiate with people. You don't want to push back when they make you an offer letter. Right. You think that you can't, but you can And And it's and it's a tough lesson to learn and it's tough to get the... Obviously, like the ideal would be that the people who are older than you are going to watch out for you and they're going to try to like advocate for you and teach you that, but <laughs> that's going to cost them money, yeah. so they're not going to. That would be nice. It'd be great, but they're not going to. So there's a hard piece of it. At, like... You have to learn to ask for what you're worth. You have to talk about what other people are making. Straight up, ask people what they're making, and like if you if they think you should ask for more money, and, and have those conversations with people. I mean, right. like sometimes people won't be uncomfortable if you ask them what their salary is, but if you're trying to gauge like how much you should ask somebody for something, find somebody on LinkedIn that has the same job as you and ask them what they're making. I, what I would do a lot of times when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do or what career path I wanted to follow to, to do more sci-com work. Um, I would just go on LinkedIn and I would search my like ideal job titles Uh and then I'd find people and then I'd scroll back on their work history and I'd take notes on like, what did you, what did you start doing? And then what, what job title did you have after that? And what job title did you have after that? What was the progression? Exactly. And just seeing like what they hopped back and forth to, to get where they were to kind of see if I was like on track. Right, And through that, that kind of, like, gave me some encouragements. So I saw a lot of people who worked in animal fields who, like, they started an animal shelter or they started, you know, they, they had a similar start to me. And then you just gotta get your foot in the door. And that's really, like, I hate the narrative. Like, there's plenty of people who, like, don't want to be passionate about what they do at work. They don't necessarily yeah. care about getting fulfillment for work. But for the people who, like, you feel drained by yeah. Like, I wish f-
1: that was the truth for me. Like, I wish right. I could have stayed in some of those sales jobs where, like, commissions were pretty decent, right. but I just absolutely hated it.
2: Yeah. And if, and if you're somebody who wants to have a job that you're passionate about, like, I I believe that, like, that's a gift that you have you're supposed to be using. If you're yeah. passionate about it, like, you're going to make such a difference in somebody's life because of your you being passionate about it. Even if you're passionate just about, like, helping people. If you're passionate about graphic design and you're like, how am I going to help people with graphic design? Like, okay, let's say you love graphic design and you love animals and you're like, okay, well, like, I'm, but I'm a graphic designer. Like, what am I going to do for that? If you can find ways to partner with companies that work in conservation or, like, land trusts or zoos or aquariums, nature centers, nature conservancies, like, anything like that that you can find, even if it's contract, I mean, don't do too much volunteer work because, you know... You don't want to get taken advantage of. Right. But like, if you can find some opportunities, it's all about getting that foot in the door because once you're in there then you're going to start to meet people and you can move your way up, but you can use that. Like if you are good at graphic design work, you're fire could be the thing that makes the final donation that lets somebody acquire land to protect an endangered species. And now you just stop their extinction. Like you have no idea the impact of your passion on like faucets, what it could do to the world. Like figure out about it. I met a kid one time that was like obsessed with toilets. I'm like, he's going to change the world one day with toilets. And I appreciate that. You know, like that fair enough. Like if you can find what you're passionate about, it's a job like yeah. it's it's a job somewhere and go on linkedin and like stalk people and maybe put your privacy on first so they can't see that you're stalking them unless you want them to sometimes that's like a strategic move like you're like i'm watching you right. if you want to connect i want to connect so if you want uh-huh. to but like most of the time you probably want to have your privacy off if you're going to like keep looking at their account multiple times
1: <laughs> speaking from experience
2: but um yeah I, uh,
1: is there a story there? It sounds like there might be a story there.
2: I went on a mission one time of trying to get connected to the Irwin family. And I was okay. like <laughs> like creeping in on their circles. And I'm like one connection away on LinkedIn. So Bindi, if you hear this, <laughs> like we're supposed to be friends. Bindi is living like my alternate life over in Australia. Born in, like born to a zoo-owning owning family. But like you're Just, suspicious
1: like, that maybe somewhere there's a parallel universe where yeah that's the track or we're just
2: supposed to be best friends in this one and we just need to meet each other but for a while i was trying to force it a little too hard probably by like closing in on linkedin connections but um met a lot of cool people from australia in the process so not personally but like connected with them so
1: i think there's an important lesson like there too and what you're talking about kind of the larger sense of just get started yeah you know like i I've talked about this on the podcast a lot. You and I have I've mentioned it to you. I used to own a food truck. Um, it was a transformative experience for me, so it's one that I talk about a lot. But I honestly think if I had sat around and wondered, how am I going to open a food truck? I never would have opened right. one. Because I got this just like surge of momentum one day mm-hmm. and decided I was doing this, and then I wasn't going to let anything stop me. Yep. And it took some time and a lot of work, but, you know, like six months after yeah. i kind of had that initial thought or what well, yeah it's about actually yeah 5 months after i had that initial thought like we were doors were open we were selling chicken sandwiches so awesome yeah know, just get started like Definitely. if you're out there listening wondering god how do i do that just get started
2: yeah just get get some kind of volunteer or work or some kind of opportunity that is mildly or minutely related to your end goal and yeah. start Start working for it because also that's how you can find out if you actually even like it. Like yeah. you could you could this whole time potentially be angry at the world and be like, I never got to do this. This is what my dream job, but I'm just at this nine to five. You know, you might actually hate it, but that could inform you to something that you do like, like zookeeping. I don't. I wouldn't want to go back and do zookeeping. It's not like the bottom of my list in terms of jobs, but like. I wouldn't have known. And it's what, since I was four years old, until I did zookeeping, it's what I was 100% certain I was going to spend the rest of my life doing. But I'm so grateful I did it. And it was an amazing experience. And it shaped the rest of my life. Yeah. And it started with working at the local dog boarding center and just taking care of dogs, checking people in. I was the receptionist. Like, I I worked holidays back with the dogs. But a lot Mm -hmm. of times, I was literally working with people, checking them in and checking them out with their dog but it was at a dog boarding center and I was like, we're one step closer, baby. Like, yeah. So
1: I always say that about food services. Like I would never go back, but I'm so glad I was there.
2: Yeah. You gotta, you gotta do it. You gotta like find something just to get, that's what I always say. Just get the foot in the door. Just find something. Google nature centers near me. If you're interested in conservation, obviously that's what I can speak to the most out of all the industries. But like, maybe there's a wildlife rehabilitator near you and it's springtime they're getting tons of babies they've got a bunch of babies they need to bottle feed or take care of like check on see if you can volunteer with the local wildlife rehabber yeah and then they'll know somebody who knows somebody and you can get your first job like it's it's really just about like taking a first step because if i had only accepted my first job if it had been zookeeping i don't know when that would have happened Cause it's almost impossible to get a job in your dream field without any experience in it, you know, but you can, I believe in you if that's your plan, but you (laughs) know, like, yeah.
1: All right. So, um, we've gotten your conservation story, something I wanted to touch on that kind of, we talk about a lot. We talk about like these sort of, You know adult onset hobbies we talk about like finding things like late in life i found conservation work kind of later in life but i'm happy to be here now just absolutely stoked to be here now can't uh what am i trying to say can't overstate that there we go Mm -hmm. um for you like what uh anything you've kind of picked up Later in life, like what kind of, you know, we talked a lot about what you've loved from day one, but give us a little yeah. insight into Kiki and kind of like, what's something you found, like, you know, you learned about yourself as an adult. That well, We're
2: going to get pretty off yeah. topic here. Let's go. I ha- have recently gotten insanely into knitting. Okay. Like my explore page on every single app is like 99.9% what are you working and on? crocheting. Well, I actually just finished a sweater. Okay. Um It was a turtleneck sweater, which I know is like weird. It's May now, but... it was really
1: you'll be excited for it to get cold again oh my gosh
2: I wish I could wear it now it's like it's um, 100% merino wool and it's hand dyed yarn so it's like this really pretty blue color but when yarn is hand dyed it's got all these different splotches in it from where the dye was like unevenly added but so it's like got little gradients tossed all through it so it looks so pretty when you make a project with it because it's just got this like these little variations in the color instead of just being a stagnant piece like most stuff you would buy at, at the store so yeah that one
1: it seems like it'd probably be a really soothing hobby like yeah uh, something i talk about a lot and sort of like having studied recreation through someone's life cycle as a child you tend to look for like that spontaneity Mm. you're always looking for something mm-hmm. that excites, that is spontaneous, yeah. that spur of the moment, because you have nothing but unstructured time. Yep. And as you transition into adulthood, something I've noticed, and this is like not at all official, this is just a casual poll of like friends and family to anybody out there listening. But <laughs> um, what I've noticed and my suspicion is that the hobbies that you gravitate towards or find as an adult are those which puts you into those kind of repetitive head cleaning
2: yeah sort
1: of motions because we have so much going on in our lives Mm -hmm. and especially as like a young adult you're not it's a transition you're not used to having all this crap you got to worry about that just you know everything that needs to be done adulting for lack of a better way to say even though I kind of hate that term but like it's the truth there's like there's that stuff that nobody wants to do it so when you you get that free time to yourself I know like I love fly tying Mm -hmm. because it just you sit down you create and you you can shut everything else out yeah. for a little while and that's really nice
2: yeah and like you said it's just like mental cleaning yeah there's like just that's in yeah we made a joke earlier in the meeting today about like disassociating yeah <laughs> like so that's like a problem for me if i get stressed out like you know you have like fight flight freeze fawn whatever mm-hmm. i like freeze and like dissociate a lot of times right yeah well what i found is knitting is actually like super compatible with that because if you're moving, you're continuing to move a part of your body. So I'm moving my hands and I'm like just doing this knitting. If I'm in a conversation, I'm feeling stressed out by the conversation. If I can pick something to do, and which like sometimes therapists will recommend you like take like a, a ball and like throw it back and forth between your hands, it keeps your um it keeps the other side of your brain engaged so it doesn't all shut down. Because normally when you go into fight, flight or freeze, oh huh. uh, like I'm not a neurologist, so I don't I think it's your sympathy. Sympathetic, sympathetic nervous system um, that shuts down. Also not an. We'll go with that. Yeah. Um. I think it's your sympathetic nervous system that like shuts down.
1: I'm and sure if then, we're like, wrong And there's anyone out there listening to we'll like find out about yelling it. yelling at, at the we're, car, we're, there's an email being typed <laughs> as we speak.
2: But like, anyway, when you're like normally everything's working, and you have more like long-term rational thought. But when you're in fight, flight, or freeze, and your body's like basically convinced that a bear is attacking you right now, no mm-hmm. matter what is happening, every all of the logical reasoning shuts off and you're just like in survival mode of how you're going to deal with it. And so I've actually found if I can keep knitting or something of that sort, like while I'm like in the stressed out stage, it, it keeps everything online
1: yeah because you're not you're not
2: actually able to just shut down and freeze and stare off. like I'm having to look at my name, I'm having to move my hands. So it's actually been kind of nice for that. It is kinda like get meditative. You unstuck
1: when you get yeah. yeah, it
2: keeps me from getting into that like frozen like zoning out thing because I'm staying engaged and I'm staying like present and I'm doing something that's like soothing. So that's nice. been that's been nice for me, but and I've made a lot of stuff. Not that I've been that stressed out. It's not. I don't only do it when I'm stressed out, but yeah. it's beneficial when I'm stressed out so yeah it's right. been it's been a weird um hobby to get into actually i was talking to my boyfriend about it because you know like i just moved up here and yeah. he's from charlotte but he's living in atlanta and then like i'm from georgia and i'm obviously yep. just moved up to charlotte See,
1: switch places yeah
2: exactly we're trading off so um i was talking to him about it and i was like i need to make a list of like different like churches to visit and like groups and like young adult things to, i don't know like i need to make a list of you things and he in, was yeah. yeah he was like well why do you need to like go out and like do so many things like don't exhaust yourself and i was like because it scares me how happy i am just knitting and watching gray's anatomy <laughs> like for a 25 year old i should not be this satisfied with life i feel like, like i can't
1: let myself like, like i was like i would i know i
2: that. would be happy like i genuinely know i would be like completely happy and i can't do that to myself i just moved to a new area like i need to I need to make myself make new friends. So I'm like forcing myself to go to things because I'm like way too like down for that. You got the knitting, down for that.
1: You got a cat. So you're like I one know. or two cats away from crazy cat. I know.
2: <laughs> I know. That's what I'm afraid of. Ugh. At least right. I don't love cats. So, I mean, I love my cat, but.
1: Yeah. Everybody loves theirs. I mean, I don't love yeah. every dog I've ever met in the world. I love my dogs. Right. But I don't need people to love my dog. I don't, you know, like, he's yeah. my dog, so I love him. But exactly. I don't need someone else to. Yeah. All right, y'all. So, before we wrap up, I've got a few announcements I want to make. But first, let's leave the people. We're going to give uh, Kiki kind of a, what's your favorite quote? It Ooh. could be any and everything. It could be conservation-related <sighs> or not.
2: Um. Actually... This is not conservation oriented, but okay. it's the one that I think of the most. Um, it's from like Sadie Robertson podcast. I forget who she was interviewing, but okay. um, quote was: "People are going to misunderstand you. Let them. You can't control it. You just people are going to under- misunderstand you. Let them. You know like what that. you yeah. meant. You you know you and you know your intentions. Mm-hmm. Let them misunderstand you. So." I like that. Helps me Very keep nice. from like trying to control what other people are doing. Yeah. Things. Also like, yeah. a hell of
1: a parting shot. Very concise. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. All right. So before we go offline, guys, um, you know, the first week for Kiki, we have, we were in, coming into the end of our first month of raffle ticket sales. So there was a huge social push. I'm sure you guys noticed some of the stuff going out. I want to issue a quick thanks to everyone who's been involved with that. We ran some numbers on April this morning and we have a new benchmark for our best ever raffle ticket sales month. Um, So it's still kind of a new event, still somewhat in its infancy, but uh, you know, we all feel really good about that. Want to say thanks to everyone who has supported so far. If you have not, we have another $1,500 cash drawing coming up at the end of May on Friday, May 26th. Uh, So make sure you get your tickets as soon as you can. You get in for everything. You get in for that $1,500 cash drawing. You get in for the early bird prizes. And, you know, the quicker you buy a ticket, the quicker we can put your money to work here locally, working on conservation. Everything is impactful. We really appreciate all you guys are doing for us. We want to keep that momentum going. Um, we also most recently just finished our through hike. That was our big event, the spring through hike of the Wari Trail. It was a little bit wet. We've got some updates up on social media for you guys to go check out if you want specifics on what happened. But I do want to let you know that registration for the fall through hike is already filling up, and it's filling up fast. So if you... You know, if it looked like fun, if you hadn't been before, you want to check it out, trlt.org, get on there, register for the thru-hike, join us in October, it's going to be a great time, and going to be some beautiful fall colors out there on the trail, we hope to see your name show up on our attendee list, and lastly, with the Sportsman's Access Program, we're getting ready to wrap up turkey season on May 6th. And then we are primed to start working on our fall draws. So that is just around the corner. If you guys want to get in, start checking out the blocks, checking out the maps, plan out your hunts, decide what weeks you want to shoot for, check out the season dates. North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission has all that out now for 23-24. So check the regulations digest, find out when you want to go, what you want to go after, head to trlt.org, the Sportsman's Access page, sign up, Buy your lottery tickets, get ready to go. And with that, we are going to leave you for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. We love getting your feedback. Good backer and good, bad, or indifferent. Please reach out to me will at trlt.org. Let me know if you like it. You hate it. If you got something you want to see, you got a guest you think we should have on, you know, somebody who knows a lot about invasive species, native plants, whatever reach out to me, hit me up. We love hearing from you guys. Thank you for being here and we will catch you next time.
0: If you like the show and would like the episodes to keep coming, you should know that our podcast is just one of the tools that we use at Three Rivers Land Trust to further our conservation mission. Our number one priority and purpose is to conserve land and natural resources for future generations and to be a voice for wildlife and to ensure wildlife populations have habitat, forever here in North Carolina. This podcast is just a byproduct to further that mission. You can visit our website at trlt.org to join us in this conservation mission.